All right. Hey, Rob, thanks for joining me tonight. Yeah, uh, good to be here. Uh, this is a this is a moment when several of us have to get together and talk. <laughs> yeah. So the occasion is um, earlier this week. Deborah Holding released a lecture on Holstein houses, where yeah. she said that it um, never existed in ancient astrology, and she blamed you and Schmidt for inventing. She says Holstein houses in modern times, or something to that yeah, extent. Yeah. Well, here, the only thing I invented was that term, and I didn't invent it because of Project Hindsight. I was at an astrology gathering being uh, conducted by uh, B.V. Raman from India, and he introduced the concept of signs as houses. And this was in the 1970s? Yes. <laughs> okay. Uh, at that point, I think uh, our our friend was a rumor. Um Rather, she was at the feet of her uh, of her teacher, I think. But um, I said, I leaned over to the person next to me. I said, "This is a whole sign house system." And the term was born. And when we started finding it in the Greek material, it just got transferred. Right, and it, it is, no by the way, regardless of anything she says, the most commonly used house system on the planet because there are more astrologers doing Indian style astrology than any other kind. <laughs> right. Yeah, there's a bit of an issue there. And she doesn't know how to account for the Indian tradition and sort of sidesteps that question or others the Indian tradition in order to get around it. But I, I remember you telling me once also that you were in a bookstore in New York, and you like looked at a book on Indian astrology, and then you're reading Ptolemy and you said something like, so that's what Ptolemy was doing. I, I had that reaction. I, I, I'm still not entirely clear what Ptolemy was doing. Um, Nobody is. His description is so ambiguous, it's ridiculous. Right. Yeah. But, uh, what we have, as I said, what we have here is uh, that um, we still have multiple house systems, and we are not responsible for the statement that this whole, that this whole sign houses were used for a thousand years as a general house system. That is the uh, that astrology computer company that. Um, uh, is uh co-star well they they were actually right. they're they actually quoting me and i was saying oh, something okay. that that was actually they, they were paraphrasing me actually so holding was actually trying to argue with me without quoting me directly which is more of a proper like academic convention but um what i was saying was actually not very far from something that james holden said at one point yeah um and i actually have a, a <sighs> I have a quote from that where he had written a paper on Holstein houses at one point in the year 2000. I don't know if you can see this. Yep, I can. So it's titled The Sign House System of House Division. And he says in the second paragraph, but the original oh, system. I don't original... have this paper. If you could send it to me, I'd love it. Yeah, I'll email, um, email it to you. Or, yeah. What book is it in? Or is it an article? It's in an AFA like periodical from 2000. Okay, send it to me if you would. I don't have a copy if you can do that conveniently. Sure. Otherwise, so he, I'll just make get it off the screen somehow. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, go ahead. So he says, but the original system of house division was what I have called the sign house system. Right. It was d devised by the Alexandrian astrologers who invented horoscopic astrology in the second century BC. It was used by the majority of classical astrologers for half a millennium. Actually, it's, I'd accept that figure if you start with 2nd century BC. Yeah. 
yeah, yeah. the next the next whole sign was the second uh, the system was very simple the rising sign all of it constituted the first house the next whole sign was the second house the next after that the third and so on and so forth yeah yeah so um yeah so i when i say like a thousand years i start from the second century bce all yeah. the way into the early arabic tradition because the arabic astrologers like masha allah and saul were still using whole sign houses very frequently um even in the early that that early era even though they were starting to also integrate quadrant houses on top of it so that's why yeah, and the arabic translation of dorotheus is completely whole sign houses right that was one of the most influential texts on early arabic astrology yeah well and you you also translated on reception by masha allah in which was written in like the late 8th century and that has charts like some of the earliest horary charts that use whole sign houses as well yeah, right correct okay so yeah. one of the things I wanted to ask you though is um James Holden I you know published that paper in 1982 where he talked about whole sign houses and for example I have um like a, a clip from that so this is what Holden said in his 1982 paper where he said starting from the rising sign the houses yeah. were numbered off in succession in the example above the first house would have been leo the second virgo the third libra this was the first system of house division i have not encountered any name for it in the literature so for convenience i shall refer to it as the sign house system yeah note that, that the reckoning was by whole signs and he says this is the primitive form of the equal house division it's found in the papyri from the earliest to the latest and is still in widespread use in india so Holden already said that Dominant, almost exclusively, in fact, except for the Tajik astrologers who follow uh, Tajik, by the way, is Indian for Persian. Right. Um, so in the very yeah. first um, Project Hindsight translation was Paulus Alexandrinus. And yeah. one of the things I noticed is that in your introduction to that translation, right at the start, you say one of the notable features about it is that it uses um the signs as houses or it uses yes. the whole sign house system so already at that point you guys became aware of it and since you referred to it as the sign house system or whole sign houses I assume that means were you familiar with James Holden's work at that point or uh probably not then but I was familiar with it shortly thereafter because when I started working with the Latin stuff I found the same thing you found you know, mm. that the Latin texts had whole sign houses in them, the Latin okay. translations. Sure. What, so, because that's what I was trying to understand is it seemed like there may have either been some awareness of James Holden's work or why? The James Holden is one of the best kept secrets in, in the bibliography of astrology. It's a shame. Yeah. Uh, and he, he, matter of fact, he used to mock uh, other astrologers for their whole their irrational concern with the correct house system <laughs> okay uh, which yes. i think was a little unnecessary because a lot of the ancients did come up with quadrant house systems of one sort or another but uh no it, uh yeah i was aware uh i was aware fairly quickly okay so because um one of the things that holding says was that you guys invented whole sign houses but it seems more just that you made an observation in Paulus pretty early on that it that you thought he was using the signs as houses yes yeah how did you do you remember anything about how you guys 
figured that out or when you first discovered that or coming to that realization or what was the context of that? I think we realized it pretty fast, as I recall. I can't remember a time when we didn't think it hmm. uh, because it kept getting confirmed by all the texts. You see, we um, Paulus was actually a rush job. Uh, the uh, 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 what's the name? I, this is one of my problems. I have name problems. Um, the lady who worked with us. Uh, oh, uh, Ellen. No, no, no. She, who? Uh, she lived. She lives in Massachusetts and was frequently in London. She was. She was the Warburg. Oh, uh, Dorian Greenbaum. Yeah, uh, her translation is quite a bit better than ours. Right. Well, the, yours was. That's one of the things about yours that's really important is all those were supposed to be preliminary translations. Yes. And then you guys were going to circle back and do like a final translation series, but that seemed very important because that was a point where she said that you guys came in with this like full-blown package or system of astrology and you already knew everything and there was no oh, that's bullshit that that's errant bullshit i mean that, right. that pissed me off more than just about anything else she, she said all we knew is the old astrology was different right it was different <laughs> than modern astrology yeah i mean i i, I keep saying to people we started it because we wanted to find out if there really were secrets of the ancients in astrology, and we found out that there were. <laughs> right, but you really that didn't was know. One like, of them. You you kind of didn't know what you were going to find because many of these texts had never been translated into English before, right? Correct. That was okay. uh, uh, the translation that Schmidt did of Paulus was the first translation, as far as I know, ever done. Yeah, and and the first also Valens was the first English translation ever done. Yeah, um, Hephaestio. Uh, oh, most of the most of them were. Yeah, uh, they were first efforts, and uh, they gradually got better as he learned. That he's he was teaching himself the material from doing the translating. Yeah, so that's actually two questions. One. Um, so one of the things, one of the points is just, I could see, even though I wasn't around in the 1990s for Project Hindsight, I studied all of the translations and all of both of you and Schmidt's, yeah. as well as Zoller's writings very closely when I lived at Project Hindsight a decade later. And I could see like the evolution of your thinking in the translators' prefaces and the footnotes, because you're always very open about when you had ideas about stuff or there were speculations or things were provisional or sometimes things would be revised later as you went. And it does seem like there was this process of like learning and growing and, and evolving as things went on, right? Yes. Yeah, we did that was a good deal of that. We did not have we did not come in to prove a method that we didn't that we already knew about. We came in to find out what the hell was there. It was right. an honest research project. And uh, as far as it being some sort of money-making device, which was implied occasionally in that video, it wasn't. <laughs> there were money-making devices that became attached to it, like phase, uh, phase conferences and things like that, and, and instructional. In fact, the thing he was mainly going to do was make an instructional booklet about these techniques, and they never did. Yeah, Demetra said last night that in her observation, when I interviewed her last night, that both of you, you and Schmidt, and also Zoller, just had an overwhelming like excitement about this whole process of going back and finding all this stuff that nobody knew about, and that was really the driving force behind what you guys were doing was rec reclaiming the history. 
Yeah, that for sure. That was exactly what we were doing. And I, I, one of the things that I was annoyed at is I was being made a villain and she and I, I thought were friends because I always respected her, her respect for an authentic older tradition. She, uh, she's not a modern astrologer. She's, a, she's an early modern astrologer. Right, practicing like Lily in Renaissance astrology. Yeah, with Uranus, Neptune, and Pluto added, of course. I mean, she doesn't, she doesn't exclude those from her work. Right. No, nor do you. Uh, I don't either. I mean, I, I even use Chiron. I have a yeah. whole chapter on the transits of Chiron. Well, and that was actually something I was surprised about in the extent to which she blamed you for this, and that there was so much vitriol behind it because i'm pretty sure you wrote the introduction to her book on the houses right i think i did i don't i don't remember the experience but i'm pretty sure i did yeah. um yeah it's, it's um, the first i don't know if it's in the, in the new edition or not yeah i mean in the edition that was published by wessex in 2006 like it has a foreword by yeah. robert hand that's yeah, about that's it. Yeah. like a page or too long yeah. um so I don't know what edition that was or what the standing was. At that, that was point. the first edition, I'm pretty sure. Okay. Um, well, it's like, because you were already talking about whole sign houses. So that's one of the things that's bizarre is that you were already promoting this discovery of whole sign houses, but then you wrote the forward to her book on houses. So at some point she thought that that was like advantageous to have you do that. But now, um, yeah. Well, not. it has to make a distinction between the idea of houses and the methodology of houses. Mm. How you calculate them and what they mean are two different things. Um, right. Here's my history with house division. First of all, you'll be thrilled to know that I've been studying astrology for 63 years. Wow. <laughs> Literally. That's, your father was an astrologer, right? Uh, not professionally. He used it for financial forecasting, but that's mm. what got me into it. Yes. Okay. And my initial reaction was to regard houses as horseshit because I couldn't see. I I, I saw astrologers using them to explain everything um, without any rigor or discipline at all, and I couldn't make them work. And needless to say, I was stuck with uh, uh, the Placidus house system at the time because that was the only one that was readily available. Um, that was the, the only one that there was like tables for uh, in book form? Yeah. Spherical uh, okay. Astrology by, uh, I forgot the author's name, but he was a uh, 19th century astrologer of some standing. So you think uh, that, so is that true? Because James Holden made that, said that statement. I always wonder if it was true that one of the reasons Placidus was so popular in like the 20th century is just because that's the main one or the only one that there was tables for? Yes. Uh Cooper, a man named Cooper, translated Placidus into English. Most of it, the most of it, uh, in the late 18th century, uh, and everybody can, or, or early, uh, or early 18th century, and everybody went with it hmm. because it sounded so scientific. Uh, but here's the basic problem. And this one, whole sign houses, addresses beautifully as do equal houses, of course, but they have the same problem with the floating midheaven. Um, and that is that there is no fixed relationship between the midheaven and the ascendant. At one point in her lecture, she talked about how you, you point to the south and you 
spread your arms and you come down at the ascendant and descendant. No, you don't. You come down at the east and west points, hmm. which are not the ascendant and descendant because the, the circles are all oblique in various ways to each other. And okay. that's what astrologers have been trying to solve. Because the technically, even though we generally associate the ascendant with the east and the descendant with the west, they're not actually exactly due east and due west. They are only due east and due west when you have either zero Cancer or Capricorn on the midheaven. Okay, got it. So that's an important point in terms of how much yeah. direct directionality is actually like crucial to uh, house division and the the underlying premise. Yes. Okay. Yes, so, I grant you the sun is on the ascendant at dawn, but the sun is not at the east at dawn, except on the equinox. <laughs> right. Yes. So going back, um, you said you, like, for example, you wrote horoscope symbols, but you weren't big into houses. You were always kind of skeptical about houses. And then I was wondering if actually, if you could tell me, because I've never gotten this as like oral history from you, but what was the, how did Project Hindsight start? Um, I think you first uh, met. You 19, first, it's 1993. I think there was a UAC. 92. Two. Thank you. Okay. But, it was in uh, Crystal City, Virginia. Also um, you, at Arlington. Uh, even, even before that, though, you first met Schmidt at like a Matrix con conference in like 1989, I think, when you were yeah. both on a, on a panel together. Yes, and uh, that's when I first met him. But Project Hindsight was born at that UAC. Yeah, it actually, it was originally called Arhat. <laughs> I kept that name. He went back to his. Uh, he had an earlier Project Hindsight that was in the history of mathematics. Mm -hmm. He called it Project right. Hindsight, so he decided to retain a, retain that term for the series of translations which a group of us were going to translate. Uh, the so original. The original committee was Meira for Hebrew, Schmidt for Greek. Uh, myself, I was a, I was your, as I, as I call myself, I'm your humble front man. Uh, so I wasn't expecting to do any translating. And then uh, Zoller did Latin. Zoller left early, and it wasn't because, uh, as she said, we tried to dictate what. Here's what we wanted Zoller to do. We wanted Zoller to look over the Latin a little more carefully because he was making whopping tra translation errors. Right. And that's what I discovered with a little refreshment. My Latin was better than his, and now it's way better than his. Well, of course, he's dead, but um, but uh, now yeah, I so have I I got a PhD in an academic field, which required a very good reading knowledge of Latin. Right. So part of it was that Zoller, because Zoller was also there for longer. I think she said she was he was only there for a few months, but he was actually there from 1992 to 1995, I believe. Right. I don't remember. Oh, uh, yeah, I think it was there for a few years. Yes. Because he published and, like six translations, I think, with the project in the end. Yeah. So the, that uh, obviously no, didn't happen over like a few months. No, it didn't happen over a few months. We we worked, but I think the I think the straw that broke the camel's back, or should I say, who was crushed under a falling redwood tree, was his translation of the Liber Hermetis. Oh, not that Liber Hermetis. Um, um, yeah, it was the Liber Hermetis. That was the one was, you guys that had. Was, that was the one that didn't. That's not the one that did it. It was uh, Al Kendi's Stellar Rays. That was the first one you translated, though. That couldn't have been it. Because that I don't think that was 
No, I think I think he did a Bonatti first. No, Alkindi was volume. Right. Well, I don't know which one was translated first, but at least um, Alkindi was volume one of the the Latin track. Okay, then uh, that was that was what began to do it because, um, uh, and I have gone back over that several times. And uh, while I do know his, while his Latin translations were not very rigorous, um, that's an almost unreadable book. I, you know, there's Esoterica web uh, YouTube channel. Mm -hmm. uh, they did a did one on Alkindi. And they mentioned the Stellar Rays, and they mentioned our translation because uh, Schmidt and I edited, almost redid the whole thing, and it still yeah. was gibberish. Yeah. The Latin is gibberish, and um, somebody else, uh, some people at Oxford have done it again, and their translation makes sense. But I'm not. I think they must have had a medium helping them with it because I find it hard to see how they got that very coherent English out of the incoherent Latin. Yeah. So part of the issue is just there is translation conventions, but at least in terms of the beginning, you and, and Schmidt and Zoller met up at UAC in 1992. And it was like yeah. over a series of dinners, you guys came up with the idea for this project. Yeah. We, we uh, actually, we called a meeting of people who had either were interested in or had books of old astrology texts. Okay. And in that meeting, in that uh, a couple of meetings, we formed an informal organization, which we called Our Hat, which was Association for the Retrieval of Historical Astrological Texts. Mm. I published one, I wrote, I put together one journal of it, which I still have a copy of. Uh, and then we realized we had to uh, we had to uh, start to we we decided to do the translation project, and the only people who were really useful to us were people who had a language they could translate. Mayor Epstein did the Hebrew, and since that's her native language, she did it rather well. <laughs> yeah, well, and that was one of the things. Is early on, it wasn't just about the Greek material, but your Not plan was actually to translate texts from from Arabic, from Latin, from Hebrew, and um, there was even interactions with Sanskrit astrologers. Uh, not very fruitful ones, but there was discussion of it. Yes, sure. But the was point that... is just that one one of the allegations made by okay, Holden no, was it was that... not intended to be primarily about, about Greek astrology. You're right. Right. I'll give you that point readily. It'll, uh, if you're going to pin it down at all, it would be um, the Greek tradition through the end of the Latin tradition in the West. Right, which would take it all the way up into like the 17th century? Yeah. Yeah, there okay. Are, there, uh, Astrologia Gallica, for example, has uh, never been completely translated. That's a very interesting work. Yeah, I just found a passage in it the other day in book 18 um, that where Morinus has an example where he uses whole sign houses and quadrant houses at the same time. Yeah. Have you I seen that? I don't recall. I have I have it, of course. I have uh, PDFs of the original book, which is one of the most elegantly produced books I've seen. I mean, it's... it's, it's I actually have it right here. It's, it's like a gigantic book. Yeah, it is. Do you have it? Do you read Latin? Or, um, I yeah, I mean, I can piece through. I'm not like a Latin PhD scholar like you necessarily. Yeah, you know, I wouldn't describe myself as being a great Latinist. Uh, 
uh, modern Germans writing in Neo-Latin I cannot read. <laughs> uh, Cicero gives me a bit of a hard time because his Latin is a little archaic and some of the words are different. But yeah, I read Latin pretty well. Um, do you, can I show you this passage really quick that I found from sure. Marinus? Yeah, okay. you got it in Latin or English? Well, I have the Latin. I'll pull the Latin out later. But first, here's oh, the... Here's here's a Anthony Lewis's translation from I think it was actually from another Spanish translation, but I had somebody check the Latin and they said it was fine. So it says, in a similar way, in the natal yeah. chart of Gustavus Adolphus, king of Sweden, Saturn is formally in the eighth house and accidentally in the ninth house. Aha, uh aha, -huh, uh -huh, yes. Oh, I like that. I like that. So that's, on the on the next two page, like the translators recognize that may be the answer, by the way. Except that still, still we don't know which quadrant house system. Uh, that's still a problem, right? So and and they put the chart. So there's a quadrant chart on the left, and yep. there's a whole sign chart on the right. So that's um, the accidental houses. Well, part of it is just well. Actually, this is a. I think this might actually be different because uh, oh yeah, it's the Saturn placement. So yeah. it has to do with in the quadrant house on the left, it's in the eighth house, but in the whole sign house, it's in the ninth house. So what he does is he mixes the delineations and he says, so it's in the eighth house by quadrant accidentally, or, or sorry, formally, but accidentally by whole sign in the ninth. And he says it's exiled in detriment in Leo, a fire sign damaged by an almost partile square from Mars in the 12th house and also opposite to the ruler of the ascendant in an almost partile manner. And he says, therefore, the, to the extent that the ninth house was affected, it signified unfortunate and deadly long journeys away from his homeland. But to the extent that Saturn pertains to the eighth house, damaged by the square from Mars, a violent death by burning lead because among metals, Saturn signifies lead. So what yeah. happens is he's he's taking into account He's saying the person basically died um, like this in this way as a result of the blend between the whole sign and, and the quadrant house. Yeah, I'm just trying to figure out uh, Sweden. That, that's a great place for doing this sort of testing. <laughs> right. <laughs> because you get really bonkers houses. But the whole sign chart is, uh, that's what he calls accidental. Hmm. Yeah, so I'm not you, sure. I, I'm not sure I would assign one, to, which one I would assign to the categories, but I I like that because, um, well, except formal and accidental aren't really opposites, right? Uh, Marinus is a very difficult character philosophically because he revised Aristotle. Hmm. It's just as Aristotelian in style, but he uses the terminology differently. Okay, and it's um, it's it, the whole text is written on the assumption that you understand immediately what he's done with Aristotle, right? Um, so the whole thing it goes on, and then eventually he just talks about him basically like dying while traveling or dying in a foreign country, and concludes by saying, "Thus Saturn carried the meaning of both the eighth and ninth houses." Um, and he actually goes on and he gives like other examples uh, as well in the following page that makes whole sign an equal but we don't have to dwell there necessarily yeah uh did he do the did he translate the entire work or just one section of it the um, person this, who did this this book this edition this was just book 18 which was the afa translation oh okay 
Okay. Yeah. yeah, that's that's the one that's been around forever. Yeah, yeah. it's it, it's a book that definitely, uh, had we continued, we would have done it. Right. Yeah. So Marinus's was... Latin is pretty easy. He 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 was trying to be, except for his philosophy being a little weird. I mean, when I say weird, it's it sounds Aristotelian, but it isn't quite. Yeah, I think it would have taken you like a little bit to translate this this monster. I yeah, I've seen. I have. I have a picture of the monster on my computer. Yeah. I have a PDF file of probably that edition that looks like the same one. Yeah. Um. So going back to the early stages of Project Hindsight, just to get some of the yeah. oral history and actual context. So you initially it was the it was the archive, but then eventually you came up with the idea to do an actual translation project and decided the text needed to be translated. And then by 1993 you created this like subscription service where astrologers yes. could subscribe to, you know, get a translation every time it came out. And then you started producing translations. One of the, um, I know that you primarily did modern astrology up to this point, but one of the allegations. Well, in the deviant modern astrology. Yes. <laughs> I never, yeah. I never did conventional modern astrology. Right, because one of the things I know about you is that you've also had a long history, a long interest in the history of astrology, and that you also had an interest in studying different forms of astrology, and yes. including studying like Ptolemy, or you mentioned going to that Vedic conference. So it's like you weren't not familiar with traditional astrology by the time the project started, right? Uh, well, it was difficult to be terribly familiar with it. All we had was Lily and uh, some of the other English writers. Like and, Lily and Ptolemy and Manilius and yeah, uh, Manilius is um, a real piece of work. Um, right, <laughs> uh, his poetry renders simple translations virtually impossible. Yeah, because he was trying to like create an entertainment, an entertaining work of art, but um, there's some like problems in terms of the way he describes things being very ambiguous. And some people place a lot of emphasis or try to place a lot of emphasis on saying like what system of house division he used, even though it's a very ambiguous text. Yeah, uh, I would have to say uh, trying to try to find out what Manili was at, Manilius was actually saying on a practical level is somewhat in the same area as biblical, biblical exegesis. Mm, right. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, you, you have to make inferences of very small hints right yeah that makes sense i've never tried to put too much emphasis on like saying what for sure manilius was doing because it's so ambiguous um it was intended to be a literary work for people who liked astrology hmm. right yeah and he and he was also supposed to be impressive because he was like putting some mathematical calculations in verse which is kind of yeah. impressive uh I'd have to look at it again to find those. I'll take your word for it if you if you know them. I don't. I I've never sat down and read the whole thing because um, uh, it's a very mean, weird work. You mean you've never read it in, in Latin rather than the translation? Oh, I've I've gone through the book pretty thoroughly, but uh, I can't say that I've read it systematically. Mm -hmm. I I pick it up and read if you read some bit of it. Uh, I have one line I can actually quote: "Fate, the fates rule the world." Oh yeah, I always liked <laughs> the way that you quoted that passage. Do you still have it, like in memory? 
Fatum uh, Fatum Reget Omnes um, but I don't have the rest of it now that's okay uh, but I know where it is um, so with the early days of Project Hindsight, you guys get together, you create a subscription model to start translating these tags, and then you start translating them. And one of the things that I never understood is it seemed like so many translations came out in such a short span of like a few years that you guys must have just been translating all of these. I, I always like marvel at how much, how industrious you were basically yeah, we producing. Were, we, we were driven. <laughs> there were not yeah. about it. Uh, and then politics started getting in the way in, among the four of us, three of us. Yeah, we can get to that in a minute. Yeah. But what um, what was driving you? We just wanted to do this very badly. We felt it was necessary. Why? You know, because nobody had done it. And histrology was this ancient art, which supposedly we have had handed to us directly from the ancients and it hasn't changed one width 200 two, two. Two mil, excuse me, two millennia, and it has. <laughs> it's evolved a lot. Right. So up to that point, it's like all astrologers knew that astrology was a very old subject, but they largely assumed that it, the way we were practicing it today was more or less the same as it was two thousand years ago. Uh anybody, anybody who assumed that was really ignorant because they, all you have to do is pick up. Uh, there are already passages from Bonatti in translation, and they were observably different although they were not too far removed from lily right Bonatti and lily are not too far apart oh yeah that i forgot we skipped over that part but like were you purely a modern astrologer or did you know anything of anything about traditional astrology prior to project hindsight i i knew somewhat i studied the history of astrology a fair amount but i hadn't tried to employ it because the uh translations were so hard to get and no, I did not have access to Latin. The Schmitz performed a great service. I have the complete CCAG in my library. Xeroxed. Right. Because, right. Um, I have a horrible time remembering names at the moment. Describe Schmitz them. Schmitz wife. Ellen Black. Ellen Black, yeah. Used to go down and at the to a library and uh town in maryland whose name escapes you right at the moment it's a mining town at the end of maryland cumberland um, cumberland thank you and xerox madly because right. she had free access to the machine and boy did she ever do it and uh she made multiple copies of the xeroxes and i had I, I, one of them was the entire ccag <laughs> Right. Well, because that's one of the things is all the academic scholars had created all these critical editions of all the Greek and Latin and, and other texts over the past century, but they were in their original languages and most astrologers didn't read those languages. So that's they were right. sort of lo locked away in these texts up to this point. Exactly. Most most astrologers can only read modern. If they could read more than one language, it would be a modern European language. Yeah, Except, well, of course, for Mayera, who speaks an ancient language, Hebrew. <laughs> right. Well, although there was like a few years before, like some excitement over the reprinting of the Regulus edition of William Lilly in 1985. And that's that when... was that's when that, that's when the back that's when the renaissance of older astrologies began. Um, and 
that's uh, that's the uh, that's what she's trying to preserve the because that she that that was for her the be all and end all and if it wasn't right because she was part of I mean one of the things I realized in watching her lecture is that she uh, Deborah Holding got into traditional astrology in the late eighties not too far before you guys probably only four yes. or five years because she got her Hori diploma in nineteen eighty nine. So right. that's only what three, four years before Project Hindsight. Yeah, they, um, they that was a that that did uh, give us some initiative. Yes. So did you, for example, did you read Lily? What, did you get the Regulus edition of Lily or any of that? Yes, I have the Regulus edition of Lily. Now I have several other editions too, but I was that I got that original, very expensive Regulus edition. <laughs> Sure. I was just trying to understand at what point you started studying Lily or became aware of texts like that. Because even if you didn't have, even if you weren't reading the Latin text or Arabic or Greek project prior to Project Hindsight, I think you had some awareness of like Lily and some of those authors. Yes, I did. Uh, uh, it's amazing, though, that for, for most people in modern astrology, astrology started somewhere in the early 19th century. Hmm that bad and they were doing that? placidus that's how little that's how much history they knew right in terms of like late 20th century astrologers awareness of the history of astrology yes okay. I mean, they were aware of earlier astrologers as names but not content wise one of the things that really impressed me and lily was uh and i still think it's something every astrologer should study is he assigned planetary and sign rulerships to just about everything you could possibly imagine mm. right like uh for example in a house the fourth the fourth house represents the basement the tenth house represents the roof right and yeah you that... do that <laughs> that sort of thing uh, it's, the... it's it's very concrete astrology Whereas mostly what was going on was astrology as a psychological tool. And while I have perfect respect for the idea of psychological astrology, where I'm at now is um, astrology that has some nodding reference to the ancient philosophical traditions in which astrology actually grew up. And what people think of Stoicism, but actually it was Neoplatonism. Mm, right. Um, so you, yeah, so that's like the revival of Lily and some of the excitement, because it seems like there's a lot of excitement about the revival of traditional astrology coming out of the UK, starting in the late 80s and early 90s. And, and that's... Zoller was a, a voice crying in the wilderness over on the side of the Atlantic, although I I, I, I took him very seriously, but uh, we, we used to get together in New York and talk about these things a lot. Okay, I, right, I knew cause... Zoller before I knew Schmidt. Yeah, I forgot because Zoller published his book on the Arabic parts that draws on and quotes Benadi in 1980. So he yeah. was promoting traditional astrology since then, and you guys had been friends going way back then. Yeah, he studied with Zoltan Mason, who was a Hungarian-American astrologer who had a uh, alcohol bookstore in New York, and Zoltan Mason was really deeply in touch with early modern astrology and uh, Benadi and people like that. That's not yeah. early modern. That's medieval. But I mean, he 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 knew about the uh, the greats of the Renaissance, also, which most astrologers didn't know anything about. Yeah, he seemed to be interested in like Marinus as well. I found one yes. of his books recently that is connected to Marinus. Uh, yeah, I uh, wouldn't be surprised. Yeah, 
So going, so you had a connection with solar and you guys talked astrology going back to what, like the early eighties or seventies? I'd say early eighties. Okay. I, I lived for a while in New York and I didn't know him then. I didn't really meet him until I started, until we started running into each other in conferences in New York. Got it. Okay. So that's intersecting. And then of course he is very into the the traditional methods and he he said the old ways are the good ways and <laughs> no he said the old ways are the good ways <laughs> right yeah yeah <laughs> old that's thing. much that's much yeah. better ca capturing the in, in intonation than than i can yeah. um so all right then you meet schmidt schmidt is like not an astrologer which is one of the things that makes him unique but i think in 1989 he was working for Michael Earlywine, yes. and I've tried to piece together this history, but I think that Schmidt was told to, like Earlywine wanted to build a digital encyclopedia or somewhat, something for astrology, and he asked Schmidt to start researching it. And I think that's when Schmidt started going back and looking at, at some of the critical editions of the older ancient astrological texts just in order yeah. to like do this research project. Is that true that's been like an inference of mine he did work he, he did work for earl wine i didn't know precisely i think it was i think earl wine had an encyclopedia of astrology on a grand scale yeah uh and i do vaguely recall that that's what got schmidt looking at this stuff okay so but that's he true didn't that... get along with earl wine very well so that it was short-lived <laughs> yeah well one and that's the thing is that a conference one time what i've been told is that you told him if Things ever don't work out with early wine come find me and we'll do something together yes. and you said said that like a few years before project hindsight and then what happened is that schmidt stopped working for early wine in 1992 so then you and him crossed paths at uac in 1992 and he came up to you and said something like i'm no longer working with early wine let's let's do something and that was kind of the birth of some of those discussions is that true yes, yes that's true okay cool um i've been trying to like piece together some of this history because it was like a decade or more before my time yeah. so i'm really really glad to verify some of this with you yeah so okay you create the translation project 1982 the subscription service and actual translations start coming out in 1993 they're coming out at a pace of what like one a month or every uh, that was the uh, that was the original goal which turned out to be uh a trifle ambitious <laughs> Well, the entire endeavor actually seemed very ambitious, like I have to say. Yes, actually. Okay. But it got the ball rolling. Yeah. So, and you said you had some Latin background and you worked as an editor basically for, because you really came at it with a knowledge of the history of astrology and the practice of astrology in different traditions. And I see your comments and your footnotes where you edited and you wrote footnotes for both the Greek text that Schmidt was translating, as well as the Latin text that Zoller was translating, yes. essentially, right? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, I, I I connected the Greek tradition to later traditions, and and Schmidt's footnotes were more technical, technically oriented toward the Greek. Okay. Um. And so you're translating these different texts, and then you guys do start learning. I noticed in the different translations, like when you get to different books of Valens or other things like that there's like a sense of excitement that you're discovering new things like for example oh, the God, time, yes. the time yeah. lord systems yes because i knew about time lord systems from indian astrology mm. <clears throat> and i also knew about Fir firdar 
which was a medieval system. Okay. But in, in Valence, we the count of time lord systems went from zero to sixty something in a matter of a few months. Okay. One of which is zodiacal releasing. Right. So zodiac releasing was a technique that like um hadn't survived in the transmission and wasn't in modern astrology at all. And you guys at all zero. And that not and that kind of a that kind of a time lord system, I don't think exists in Indian astrology either. Um, yeah, I, there's a version of it that Kenneth Johnson pointed out. There's like something that's almost like zodiac releasing in Parashara that uses the same periods, but it's calculated just slightly differently. And I know Abu Mashar. Rhetorius mentions zodiac releasing, but he's he's citing Valens, and then Abu Mashar mentions the periods associated with zodiac releasing, but then I don't really see it show up in the tradition after that. No, it, it, he also did Ferdar pretty rigorously, mm. Alfred Aria in Latin. Okay, Alfred Aries uh, in English. <laughs> so um, you start translating all these texts, you start finding these different things, and one of the things I'm curious about was. Um, there was a statement, uh, an allegation in the lecture that there was no no discussions and there was no questions that were being asked, nor was there any openness to having things questioned or challenged. Bullshit. Yeah, I didn't. We among in the group, we did a great deal of that. Because I mean, even Schmidt wasn't totally secure that he, Schmidt was not terribly knowledgeable in astrology. He, he hadn't done astrology. He was a mathematician, basically. Um, yeah, and like a um, philosopher, philosopher. A philosopher and mathematician, yes. Mm -hmm. So he had the language skills and the training in philosophy and like ancient thought, as well as mathematics, um, but was not as firm in terms of his views on astrology because he hadn't been like practicing it for a number of years like you or Zoller had. Yeah, and uh, neither of us were were so firm that we would reject anything that showed up in the text. We'd say fascinating and try to understand it. Right, um, and sometimes there were like questions that were coming up, but there was also I know you guys started hosting um, events and conclaves, and yeah, that there was conclaves. like discussions and different presentations and stuff during the course of those. Yeah, I'll give you an example. Um, I think it was the second one. Um, I only the three after that. I I had dropped out. Um, in the second one, uh, we the discussion was of uh, houses reckoned or places reckoned from the lot of fortune. Hmm. And um, I don't know how this came up, but the idea was that the Oh yeah, it came up valence. The eleventh sign from the lot of fortune is a place of acquisition. Okay. And people started looking at their charts, and an awful lot of people had had one of the following things true: the lot of fortune was a sign ruled by Mercury, uh, or uh, Mercury was in the sign of the lot of fortune. Or were those same two or those same two conditions applied to the place of acquisition, which is the eleventh sign from the lot of fortune? And mm -hmm. to this day, 
if I don't find that in a person's chart, I wonder about their credentials as an astrologer. For making, uh, this is for making money by astrology, by the way. It's not for studying it. All you need okay. to study it is a good solid Mercury. Not Uranus, damn it, Mercury. Right. That was one the of the things I learned. The only traditional thing of, astrology. The only thing of the Uranus, the only reason why Uranus rules astrology is because most of us, most people consider us to be social deviants, and social deviants rule by astrology. Right. But um, it doesn't capture the essence of astrology at all. Were there other debates that were had early on in Project Hindsight or things that were discussed or like ideas that you had early on that later you shifted or changed on? Uh, I can't think of any at the moment because we usually hash things out pretty thoroughly, but I'm sure that somebody else could re probably remember a couple, but I think I'm probably your only source at the moment. And yeah, forever, that's okay. actually. <laughs> yeah. Um, you know, so we, 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 did work from a position of consensus by and large. And that was part of the problem with Zoller is he thought his translations were the be all and end all and we didn't agree. Yeah, sometimes it seemed like you guys had, edit especially you acting as the editor, had editorial suggestions and sometimes Zoller uh, that sort of rubs Zoller the wrong way or he didn't want to be well, told the, what, the, what to do. The um, book we were talking about a moment ago, the... Um, Liber Hermetis. Liber Hermetis. No, not the Liber Hermetis. The uh, Alkendi. Alkendi. Yes. Uh, the Alkendi translation was a unreadable and b substantially incorrect. Mm. The unreadable okay. part we never quite de dealt with, but the uh, but at least at least the translations are literally plausible, even if they're not intelligible. <laughs> mm. Yeah, I mean, I think especially if the publication history is true, just this being the first one, that would have been you guys' first translation together with Zoller. So there would have been, I'm guessing, probably some like getting used to, especially Zoller, he'd been on his own translating stuff and studying yeah. the text at least for like a decade or two. So all of a sudden working together with like two other guys, I'm sure, of a of a similar level of intellect that that would have taken some like getting used to. Yeah. Uh, he we did he did do several more of the Bonatti translations he did were after that, right? Yeah, like four Bonatti translations. So all right, so um, let's see what are the other questions. Um, uh, you have the chart list. You have a list. I don't. <laughs> yeah, I'm just, pulling, I'm just pulling up. Um, whole sign houses. So do you remember? Because one of the things was, oh yeah, that's it. That's it. I was just rewatching her lecture, and one of the things she claims is that you guys claimed that you only talked about whole side houses, and you claimed that that was the only system. However, I know that you guys were talking about quadrant houses in Valens in your translation of Book Three of Valens, and I know even in um, Schmidt's translation of Book Three of Ptolemy that they talked about. Uh, and he gave a passage about how Valens had a passage outlining equal houses. So I know that you guys were discussing the different methods of house division and trying to figure out the history of how things happen and how those systems of house division integrated with whole sign houses, I think, right? Um, I would say probably more accurate to say that we regarded whole sign houses as one of the alternative house systems, which is, I think, true. Um, my own use of it has evolved where I have kind of integrated the two. As I say, like looking at 
the midheaven houses. Not the way the Iranians do. They make the midheaven the cusp of the tenth house. And then the east point is the uh, or the equatorial ascendant is the cusp of the first house. Then they do equal houses from the ascendant in longitude. Uh, it is my belief the midheaven should be treated as a lot in the same way the lots were treated. Right. Wherever, I think... wherever, the, wherever the planets fall in regard to the sign of the, of the midheaven, um, that's the chart of your proxis, your action. Right, because I think you took that partially from Book Five of Valens, where he teaches you that the midheaven can float around the top part of the chart, and yeah. that whatever whole sign house it falls in, it it marks that entire sign with those topics, and they double up with whatever the whole sign topics are in that sign. Absolutely, I was just looking that up yesterday. Yes, I, yeah, it's uh, on page thirty of the Schmidt translation to be exact. <laughs> right. And yes. I looked at the corresponding part in the Riley, and uh, uh, I would have to say, if I had encountered that first, I would never have come up. I would never have observed that as demonstrating the practice I describe. Right, because it was, it was like you got the idea, or it was inspired by reading that passage of Valens. Yeah, it's a translation of it. So one of the things about Valens is. Um, one of the things you, you guys did that's really cool is you went through and every time Valens had an example chart, you had a diagram next to it. And um, you often had footnotes where you connected it with Greek horoscopes and yep. the correct date of the chart. And then you would also comment on the placements in the chart and kind of explicate and commentate on Valens's delineation and why he was saying certain things. Yeah. Um, one of the things, though, that's really important is that um, if you go through the examples, the vast, vast majority of his charts use whole sign houses. Yeah, um, or so, appear to. There's no mention of the, if there's mention of a midheaven in the list, there's no mention of the midheaven in the text describing it. Yeah. So, and that's one of the things that Holding is arguing is that even if the midheaven is not mentioned in a chart, she says that it can still be calculated if you know the degree of the ascendant. But the obvious problem with that, that any anybody that's read Valens knows, is that the vast, vast majority of about 95% of Valens's charts, they don't contain the exact degree of the ascendant. They only tell you the rising sign. Yeah. So. They also, what she also doesn't know is his ascensional times for the signs were totally bullshit. Mm. <laughs> the ascensional times outlined in book one? Yeah, they're, 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 uh, they were uh, the system B of the, ancient of the ancient chart system. System A was an earlier one. They were accounting for, in some strange way, the procession of the equinoxes. And Val by the time Valens had come along, System B was out of date significantly. Right. That's one of the reasons why uh, Ptolemy is so unambiguous about the tropical zodiac, because this doesn't happen anymore. You actually compute the damn rising, rising times for the date of the chart, if you're going to use do it that way. Okay. Yeah. Um, so, but generally speaking in Valens, just seeing his chart examples over and over again that only list the rising sign and only list the 
oftentimes even the planets are only given by sign they're not given by degree yes was was, was that the thing primarily that led you to think that whole sign houses were being used in, in most of the chart examples but let me pull up I was just going to pull up like a chart like for example sure. um you know here's a common chart for Valens yeah um here let me actually I'll just scroll through to a chapter where he's got a bunch so this is a pretty standard I think this one's about perfections and yeah. Valens says another example Sun and Taurus Moon, Venus, Ascendant in Aries, Saturn in Capricorn, Jupiter yeah. in Virgo, Mars in Scorpio, Mercury in Gemini. So yeah. that's that's all the data that Valens gives. And then from that, we're supposed to, as the reader, the student, we're supposed to like construct a chart based on that. Uh, yeah, that is a pretty good argument for his doing totally sign-wise charts, which is another way of saying whole sign houses. Right. I mean, I assume just because that's basically 95% of his charts, um, if you flip through the anthology where he's only yeah. giving the rising sign and the rest of the planets by sign, but then it's not just that he's giving those placements, <clears throat> he's then delineating or interpreting those placements. Like he's saying Mars in the eighth place, the place of death, you know, where yeah. Mars is in the eighth sign and that it transmitted to Saturn in the place associated with children which for him is the 10th place right so he so he's actually like connecting actual delineations of things that happened in people's lives with the actual whole sign house placement i, so I would say that's a very good argument just how powerful that technique is that you can do that right you can take a chart where all you know is the rising sign and the approximate positions of the and the signs of the planet and get something meaningful out of it uh, I personally wouldn't do that, but but uh, I, I think that argues for the power of the system right there, assuming this isn't an entirely a work of fiction, which I don't believe. Yeah, well, I just wanted to make that point because one of the other arguments is that it's like they, she's arguing that Holstein houses didn't exist at all in ancient astrology in any tradition whatsoever prior to modern times. This would be hard to explain Jyotish. It really be hard to explain Jyotish. Yeah, the Indian tradition. Well, she can't explain the Indian tradition. She can't explain also there's Arabic horoscopes that have yes. been found that use whole sign houses. And, there's I, and in the uh, I think it's um the translation that uh God, I'm really having trouble with names today. Um guy at AFA. You know, we were talking about James Holden. Oh, Holden, yes. His translation of Al Abu Ali Al Kayyat, um, he talks about the issue in connection with a whole sign houses somewhere I was reading today. And uh, he believed the midheaven had been put in uh, into the charts by subsequent editors that they weren't there originally, because quite consistently he doesn't. <laughs> Right. You know, yeah. I, I would I would not put in the midheaven sometimes and not at others if I took the midheaven seriously as a as a house cusp. Well, and one of the things that even if the midheaven is in the chart, one of the things that Valens proves is that they're sometimes treating the midheaven as a floating point in the top half of the chart that can fall in a whole sign house. So it's like sometimes yes. even when there's a midheaven it's still being used in a whole sign house context. And unless they're actually trisecting the cusps between the 
degrees of the quadrant midheaven and the quadrant ascendant and actually dividing the chart into quadrants like it's not ever fully 100% certain that they're using quadrant houses even if there's a midheaven yeah, yeah uh, until you see intermediate cusps you can't show anything about how system they're using right because it's like you know um in solar fire for example um let me just share a chart this is a chart for right now this is me and how I have my charts set up and I have the ascendant and the degree of the midheaven and the degree of the descendant and I see in the chart because yeah. I'm paying attention to those as sensitive points and what whole sign houses they fall in and what planets they're emphasizing. Um, Interesting, but, we're doing this with them both the signs of Mercury, aren't we? <laughs> um, doing the the Moon and Mars, or no, both of the angles. Yeah, you're right. Yeah, uh, we yeah. started with actually zero Virgo rising. Yeah. Um. So, so you, but the point good is, good thing you picked the sign of long ascension. <laughs> right. Um. So. One of the points, though, because you eventually you wrote a um, a couple of articles on whole sign houses in the Mountain Astrologer magazine, and I think that's yeah. aside from the translations, that's one of the ways that you first started publishing. Well, this. I also I also had the book on it. Yeah, I think you took the two uh, TMA articles that were written in 1999 on whole sign houses, and I think you took some of that material and turned it into the book in 2000, yeah. right? Yeah. Yeah, the book's so, still in print, by the way, if anybody's interested. Right, on your website. I think you can people can get like a PDF of it. Um, yeah. So why, though, because one of the things for you is that you were actually, I think, impressed and excited about whole sign houses once oh, you yeah. had discovered, once you had seen it, like in the Greek text first or in Valens, and then once you started using it in practice, um, there was something about it where even though you'd been kind of skeptical about houses in the night up until the 1980s. This is the first one I saw that consistently worked. Okay. That's the answer. The consistent now there are a few gotchas here. One of them is the floating midheaven. Mm -hmm. Because wherever the midheaven is does pertain to career, action, and so on and so forth, even if it's the eleventh house or the ninth house. Uh, and um uh, when I, I I had an example that happened today. I had a person who wanted wanted an appointment with me for a consultation, and she was born in Nicaragua, and her birth time was sort of approximate. So I erected the time for the approximate birth, the, excuse me, the approximate time of birth, and I I looked at what had happened in her life. So this chart can't be correct. Hmm. And using whole sign houses, I determined that the and I also use the. Uh, multiple rule i use the almutants as well as sign rulers okay. if they're not the same uh i look what i want to see is the ninth a ruler or inhabitant of the ninth house uh e either ruling or aspecting a planet in the fourth house now the fourth mm -hmm. house involves the midheaven the ic namely but it also involves the fourth sign from the ascendant and uh, she, uh, when I spoke to her, when I spoke to her again, uh, uh, she found that uh, that's when she, her mother had gone to the hospital. She wasn't born until somewhere between 2 and 3 p.m. So I did the chart for 2.30 and I said, that one had it. She was born in a foreign country, namely Nicaragua. Wow, okay. She lives in Florida now. Nice. now it was just immediately. 
no no ambiguity. I I can't do that with any of the quadrant house systems. Right. So one of your realizations, it seems like during the course of the 1990s, was just that you felt like, for you at least personally, that that was a compelling house system, and all of a sudden you felt like your delineations were working better than you were used to in the years up to that point? Yes. I got a little improvement with Koch, but I'll tell you what the the biggest problem I had was the succeeding houses didn't work worth a damn. Mm. They are more badly affected by the difference between quadrant house systems and whole sign house systems than any other group. Uh, I didn't get the right to significators, right dispositors. Uh, when I started using the whole sign house system, I could talk about a person's money. I could talk about their borrowing money. I could talk about them having children and friends and groups and associations, and I made sense. Right. Yeah, that was my that was my experience as well. Um, so you mentioned actually the Coke system of house division. And actually, there's something really funny about that that you'll probably love to hear. I wanted to share with you, but I found this old <clears throat> obscure astrology book that William Koch, the inventor of the Koch house yeah. system, wrote together with um, another German scholar named uh, Napich in 1959 yeah. that was on house division. Um, yep. And I found in that book that it actually, they recognize that whole sign houses existed in the Greek tradition. Oh, wow. That's impressive. Yeah. You read German? Um, no, but I was brought, it was brought to my attention actually originally on a, on the Skyscript forum, a German astrologer pointed it out and then I corresponded with him privately and my friend Jen Zart, I got a hold of the book yeah. and she translated the passage for me. Uh, if you want to, if you want to hear it. I see it. Oh yeah, Clafis. Okay, I didn't recognize the second name, but I yes, horoscope and heavenly houses, foundations yeah. in ancient times. Yeah. Yeah. So foundations in ancient. German. Okay. Well, maybe. I mean, no. Nah, here, I'll just do Jen's translation because it's fine. Yeah, so it, fine. yeah. It it says. Oh, I'm sure she's her foreign languages are quite good. Yeah, she got a PhD in German, so yeah. it says. The Egyptian lay astrologers who were, as Bush Leclerc accurately said, in absolute rebellion against the intricacies of the theory of the ascensional times, sought to determine the rising ecliptic degree or horoscopos with their on mere progression touching table of pedasiris and used no other cardinal points. They placed, as shown in the horoscope from Abydos, the planets in the horoscopos. Um, in the twelvefold schema of the zodiac, and viewed the sign in which the horoscope resides as the first house, the next sign as the second, and so on. They equated signs and houses. The oldest, actually houseless manner, was used later also by learned learned astrologers, like for example, example oh. Polkos, yeah. around 490, who alongside the horoscopos, which is the ascendant also inserted the true midheaven into the diagram. This sign equals house method was also adopted by Indian astrologers and is still used today by Orthodox Hindu astrologers. I was unaware of that passage since I've never had a copy of the book. Um, I know. It's, it's actually a very rare book, and, and I checked Holden's bibliography, and James Holden didn't have this book in his library. And what I realized later is that 
Um, so Holden basically discovered Holstein houses independently. You and Hand basically rediscovered Holstein houses. I'm Hand. <laughs> oh, oh, sorry, you and Schmidt. Thank, yeah. Thanks for catching me. Now I'm the one with memory stuff. So I, I can detect I can detect, detect mistakes, but I have trouble not making them. Sure. Yeah. <laughs> so, but the point is that like James Holden discovered Holstein houses independently. He wasn't aware of this book. You and Schmidt. Also yes, it, independent. It, it it keeps popping up, and uh, that paragraph actually is key because um, I don't know if you're aware of this, but a friend of um, Dorian's a colleague actually, they worked together at the Warburg Institute, published an article which is available online, except for some reason they chopped off the end of the edition that's online. It's in. Um, uh, Yeah, right. Um, What's the are you talking he, about the Micah Ross Ak article? Yes. He he clearly indicates that the ascendant was discovered by the Egyptians hmm. as a concept. Right. They said that the rising Deccan and the yeah. that that acted as a precursor to the development of the concept of the 12 houses. Well, it, it, it when it was combined with with the zodiacal concepts of the Babylonians, you got the whole sign house system, right? Because then you're you're paying attention to like what is the rising sign at that hour, and then yeah. that becomes the start of the sequence of the twelve houses or twelve signs. At, yes, and you you uh, you maybe not uh, you may not have heard this translation, but horoscopos should be translated as hour marker or time marker. Right, not watcher of the hour. It's <laughs> absurd. Yeah, that was one of Schmidt's early things because he was always so focused on like not accepting whatever the current convention was, but instead going back and finding out what the original Greek or Latin word was, and then coming up with a word that more accurately conveyed the original meaning in that original language. Yeah, well, um, if you, I I do this all the time with Liddell and Scott, the Edinburgh edition, which happens to be computerized. It's on a website called Lo, 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 I guess you pronounce the name as Logion, L-O-G-E-I-O-N, and it's they have the complete Liddell and Scott unabridged Greek dictionary and Latin and the Latin okay. equivalent on there, um, and you can see this, right. You, you can see is this is absolutely reasonable. Uh, what usually you find in the shorter dictionaries is the common usage of the word, which would not be the usage of the word when it was originally used. Okay. Right. It, it cites the locations in the vast majority and what accounts for the vast majority of surviving ancient Greek literature. It cites the locations of them in the texts. Right. Nice. So then as a result of that, though, as a result of you guys is not just accepting historical precedent in certain different in terms of different terms, sometimes you ended up introducing new terminology that has since become popular. So one of the phrases, even though you didn't invent it, you you are basically you do say or or want to take credit for coining the phrase whole sign houses. Is that accurate or is that not necessarily uh accurate? It's absolutely accurate, but it wasn't in connection with Project Hindsight. Hmm. Uh, I told you I was at a at a uh, all day seminar by uh, B. V. Raman on Indian astrology in the early seventies, 
Right. And he started to blow our minds by saying they're not particularly concerned with the degree of the ascendant because all they want to know is what sign it is. Right. And the other signs just fall right in. He said there are systems that do do uh, porphyry-type houses in India. Okay. But the dominant house system is the whole sign house system using a sidereal zodiac, so it's not exactly equivalent. And I leaned over to person I was sitting at the table with who we were set out as tables. And I said, that's a whole sign house system. Right. Okay. Whereas it's James possible Holden... it may have been the other person. Now he came he called it sign house, which I think is equal good. I yeah. would I'd be perfectly happy to use that term too. I thought yeah. I, although I remember I've been remembering it as sign as house, but I just when I looked at the books today, it's just sign hyphen house. Right. Yeah, it's funny how that didn't catch on, but you, the one that you preferred did. <clears throat> so just to well, reiterate. Hold, hold, um, Holden did not have the kind of, uh, he was an obscure astrologer in the AFA. He had, uh, George Noonan was another one who did a lot of work in ancient astrology and mostly, I think, from uh, Latin. Uh and these two guys got no recognition whatsoever from the AFA. There were voices crying in the wilderness. Yeah, it's like... they are the, they are the first ones in this country actually to do that. Going back and looking at the traditional text and starting to do translations. Yes. So I, I always I I wondered or I speculated from my vantage point. I I I inferred that part of the reason for that was it seems like there was a generational um, shift where a lot of the younger astrologers that came in in the 60s and 70s ended up kind of like rebelling against the AFA and creating their own organizations like the NCGR and ESAR and, and uh, I don't think that, yeah. No, I, Noonan has always gotten credit for anybody who knows about his work outside of the AFA. No, it was the AFA that kind of just tolerated them because they were, they, were, they were that generation of older astrologers we were rebelling against. But um, you're, in one respect, you're right, uh, because um, the time was better in the early 90s because people had, had enough of uh, what we'll call excessively airy-fairy astrology, and they, they mm. wanted some meat and potatoes, and here, here was meat and potatoes galore. But it also mm. works on the, on the airy-fairy level, too, I might add. Yeah, with just in terms of the rise of traditional astrology, but I guess I was just saying why it seems like James Holden's work wasn't widely known or recognized until much later, and it seemed to have to do with the AFA not being as popular in the 80s and 90s as like the other organizations were or something like that. So maybe people just weren't as aware of what he was doing. Yeah, well, I don't think it was the AFA. People bought AFA books right and left, but uh, Holden, they just thought was weird. Okay, just because it was traditional astrology. Got his it. Time, he was premature. Yeah. It okay. wasn't his fault, but on the other hand, he was an influence on what followed. For sure, right. Um, okay, so getting back to, so you started writing about, one of the things that's interesting about your publication history when I was looking at the dates is that you didn't publish the TMA articles on Holstein Houses until 1999. So to me, that implies that you didn't, even though Project Hindsight was talking about Holstein houses and promoting it and saying that this was in the Greek texts in addition to 
quadrant houses and equal houses. Yeah, um, I, I, I'm paying attention. I'm just looking for my book pile. Okay, I can't cool. find it, but where I have it. <laughs> Yeah. So, but but you started actually publish. You didn't start actually publishing stuff about whole sign houses yourself to promote it in that way until like the late '90s or something. Or when did you start? Uh, it was promoting? originally. Um, it wasn't originally uh, uh, an hot book. It was. It was, it was when uh, it became one when I separated. I took my books away from Project Hindsight, not my translations, the books. Right. And um, there it is. Okay. I just want to look at the original copyright date here. Well, it's actually copyright 2000, but that's it was written before that. Yeah, I just got um, scans today of the um, where is it? Oh, it's night and day that started out as a project as a project hindsight ma manual. It was a discussion of sect. This, yeah. No, this one this one was written when I was on my own. I just got a today Jen's art from her library. She's building an astrological library in Oregon, but she oh, wow. scanned these two TMA um, issues from 1999. And on the top left, you can see um, the it promoting Rob Hand on whole sign houses. Yeah, yeah. So this is um, 1999, and yep, it's a picture it of me when I still had some color in my hair. Yep. Yeah, it's a good picture. Um, so this is like the original article from it says June July 1999 Mountain Astrologer yep. page 43 the oldest house system whole sign houses yeah so this was the original like publication that eventually like a year later was turned into the little booklet um yeah. one of the things you're saying there is that you're calling it the oldest house system um and that's one of the things that I've also done and I've in my book, I ended up writing like a 50-page chapter in order to validate and substantiate the claim that it was both the original house system in terms of the use of the 12 houses, but also that it was the most um, popular system in the Hellenistic tradition. Yeah. Um, do you still feel, for the most part, like those argue, those two points are still true today, or how would you frame it? I'd say in the Greek tradition, definitely. In the Arabic tradition, it was beginning to wane in favor of al -Kabishish. Right, yeah. And porphyry. And there is yeah. and there's use, there's uses of porphyry clearly implicit in some of the Greek material. But um, yeah, I still stand by that otherwise. Yes, that's what I was going through my stuff today to see if I still held that. But I, I certainly, I would I would certainly recommend it to anybody who wants to study astrology. The only problem is that I have not written a book where I describe how I do whole sign houses. There's a lot more to it than simply omitting the midheaven. Mm, right. For example, the Gokulans unequivocally proved the reality of the midheaven mm, right and the ascendant those are the two places where the profession determining planets uh most frequently appear although it's not quite the same as it is in astrology because it's uh the, the 12th house is where and where the most the 12th and 9th houses speaking in terms of quadrant house systems are the ones where most of the action is um but the the uh, but I the, the practices I have, for example, of when midheaven falls in something other than the tenth sign, I read 
as per valence, both the sign it falls in and the 10th sign to talk about career and profession. I don't think most people are doing that. Right. Um, well, it's actually become really popular at this point today, whole sign houses. And that's part of the reason these debates are happening because yeah. um, over the past decade, uh, it's sort of taken off. And now it's actually become, according to some polls, uh, quadrant like Placidus is still the number one house system. But I've seen a couple of polls indicating that whole sign houses has become the second most used house system today. Yeah. Uh, I have, I'm not familiar with the polls, but it doesn't surprise me. I, whole sign houses are, have not taken off because they're easy. It's right. taken off because they work. Now, is it possible that there is a valid quadrant house system? Yes, but how do you define the intermediate cusps? There's no a priori theoretical foundation for the intermediate cusps in any of them. Placidus argued that he was doing something reasonable. Well, he was doing something reasonable only in terms of doing it, doing his interpretation of Ptolemy's primary directions, proportional positions to semi-arcs. Mm -hmm. If you don't accept the semi-arc idea as being a valid position, uh, then they fall apart completely. And nobody could do them anyway, because it wasn't until the 20th century that somebody came up with a rigorous algorithm for computing the intermediate cusps in Placidus. They were all done by a rough approximations in the model of Regimontanus. They were within a degree, but they weren't accurate. Um, uh, American Astrology Magazine uh, had an astronomer prepare a table of houses that was done in this rigorous manner. And I might add, the current astrology software does the rigorous version of Placidus also. We all learned from that. The reason it was impossible is it was, it was it, you can't calculate a Placidian cusp without, without iterating the calculation until, until the values converge. And you don't want to do that without a computer. Right. Yeah. I mean, that's, you know, all these systems can be calculated so easily today. It's one of the things that I noticed on on Twitter that a lot of the younger astrologers are reacting to Deborah Holding's statements that whole sign houses is is lazy or that it's for lazy astrologers, but it's it's, it's like not. all these <laughs> what well, it takes no more energy to hit that button than the other button. <laughs> Right. Yeah. It's, all, um, it's all a matter of selecting the right button. So one of the things you mentioned is paying attention to the degrees of the angles and, and the Gokulin results still being relevant. And that's actually yeah. important because part of an argument that I think Schmidt came up with, but also you were involved with sometime in the mid-90s, like 1995, 1996, was... Um, you saw that most of the charts, for example, in Valens used whole sign houses or in Dorotheus, but then when the different astrologers would get to the length of life technique, when they were trying to determine the predominator or the high leg, they would often introduce their degree-based forms of house division, yes. like porphyry in the case of Valens or possibly equal houses modified in the case of Ptolemy. Um, so Schmidt introduced this distinction saying that whole sign houses were for topics and that quadrant yes. houses were for dynamic purposes or, or busyness, essentially. And uh, that was I, I, I would accept that as a good approximation of what he said, yes. Um, 
I, I would I wouldn't say that exactly that way for myself, but it's essentially the same. yeah. There are two kinds of houses. Yeah, yeah. Do you still? Of, so I, you I remember still... that discussion. I, I I hold to something like that. Yes. Okay, so you, I mean, and that was a way in order to attempt to reconcile the fact that there was different systems being used sometimes in the same author and trying to figure out what role those systems were playing and if they were um, reconciled in some way or if they were just like completely separate. Um, so uh, it's not... something you've probably never seen is my, because you're too young, is the CPM microcomputer version of chart wheels mm. it was fully graphic didn't use a mouse though a fully graphic and it had the capacity to compute charts uh on the ecliptic on the equator in the placidian uh, proportional semi-arc system mm -hmm. uh regiomontanus alcabicius you could convert to any one of those as a coordinate system because uh there among sidereals by the way in this country have been very innovative that way is they, is they recognize that it may be a matter of different coordinate systems for different questions mm. and schmidt was schmidt's ideas are very is again is an example of that sure so and that's something that you still kind of use a little bit to some extent when you're talking about paying attention to the angles and angularity based on the degrees of the angles being something you're still paying attention to to, to a certain de yeah. degree? Yeah. I think proximity to the angles is uh, more important than being in an angular house. Okay. In fact, half the time, the midheaven isn't in an angular house. Right. It's in either the 11th or the 9th. So you actually treat, um, in terms of angularity and busyness or prominence or what you might, might call strength in a chart, you emphasize the degrees of the angles, even though you're still paying attention to the whole sign house placements primarily for topics. Exactly. Okay. So this is that's like the formulation that it seemed like Project Hindsight kind of came up with in the mid '90s, and I know Schmidt outlines that um, and talks about the different forms of house division in his 1996 preface to Book Three of Ptolemy. But one of the problems with that formulation is. I think at that point, I can kind of see in some of the publications, and I can kind of infer from hearing some of the debates that some of the um, astrologers from the Renaissance tradition, where by the time of Lily, Lily was using entirely quadrant houses yes. for both topics as well as what yes. you might call dynamic purposes. So you guys started getting some pushback from some of the other traditional astrologers about that, some of those ideas. Uh, I, I don't remember personally experiencing it, but I think uh, you you saw Deborah holding this video. <laughs> yeah, I, I mean, I think pushing that's back pushing. With a, pushing back with a bulldozer, I might add. <laughs> yeah, she's a little little emphatic, a little, she can sometimes yeah. be a little dramatic about things, um, which ironically, she also accused um, whole sign house people of being very emotional and being too enthusiastic or well, too dark. All all astrological partisans some there's always a subset of every astrological partisanship that does that right i mean i had the same reaction from uh, advocates of placidus in the uh uh 70s and 80s you in know, terms of pushing that, back that, against coke or something yeah or anything else 
Okay. Yeah. Well, I mean, it, and what is that? Like, I've been trying to reflect on the psychology of that. I guess it's partially because as astrologers, we become very invested in whatever house system and whatever techniques we settle on. And it's also part of the lens in which we view our own birth charts and therefore our own lives. So yeah. I'm sure there, there can be something that can be very difficult if somebody's saying that, you know, no, that's not true or no, that this other system works better or, or something like that. Uh, yeah, the problem with astrology is it in, in this is the sense in which astrology is not a science. And that is, there are no final types of arguments that can be given in any final types of theoretical foundations that can be given in any argument or disagreement. Uh, we all have to have a little bit of unquestioning faith in how we do things or we can't do them. Mm. And, but I have several times in my astrological career found techniques that everybody uses. I just could not make work. And Placidus houses were one of them. Yeah. It's one of those tricky things. We have to, I guess what you're saying, we have to believe in what we're doing, or at least we do things because we do believe in them and we believe it works. Otherwise, we wouldn't be using those well, techniques. There, there, is a, there are two categories. There are things that are obviously hit you between the eyes and you can't deny them. Um, then there are the things that seem to be theoretically consistent with, if, uh, with the rest of your system that you, you watch for, look for, and you get reinforced every time it happens. And that's where we have the disagreements. Yeah, and that's really an issue here because on the one hand, Holding is accusing us and you guys of reading whole sign houses into the ancient texts where they weren't there. But then on the other hand, uh, conversely, from our perspective, we're seeing her as uh, trying to project anachronistically the quadrant house systems backwards where they weren't necessarily as as prevalent or at least um, in order to override or ignore the existence of whole sign houses, even yeah. though the evidence for it is very prevalent? Yes. I uh, think you actually ended your 2007 paper talking about that. And I was actually trying to understand if that was like a a response to pushback you had gotten at that point in some way. No, uh, I, I don't get a lot by my my stature and astrology makes people tend not to question me to my face. Uh, right. Until which is today, apparently. Well, until today, yeah. yeah. Um, Technically not to your face, actually, I should say. What I, what I didn't like uh, about her tone, um, well, not about her tone, about what she actually accuses of doing, I went through it. We we always cite sources, right? We're not making this stuff up out of thin air. We cite sources. Yeah. We have footnotes galore. I mean, sometimes the text almost looks like a running commentary on the footnotes, right? Um, <laughs> there are ambiguities, no doubt, in the surviving texts of Greek horoscopes. There are no, absolutely ambiguities. Um, John, then, she cites John North in that in her talk, uh, his historical. What's the actual title of the book? Horse, not horoscopes in history. What is yeah. it? 
Right I, I think that is it, but I must have put that one back. Yeah, horoscopes in history. Yeah, horoscopes in history. And I read it today. And uh, <clears throat> I now take you back to that second conference on the history of astrology at the Warburg Institute, which Deborah Holding attended. Right. And uh, and she gave a brilliant lecture on the um, Ptolemaic versus uh, Egyptian terms, where she she really did cite all the examples. And what she found out was that nobody notices, nobody can agree on where the Ptolemaic term boundaries are. Hmm. The Egyptian right. terms, however, subsequent to that meeting in London, have been found in cuneiform sources. They're not Egyptian. They're the Chaldean terms. Hmm if we call them properly, based on the country of origin. Uh, I suspect they originally were connected with asterisms, you know, but uh, this is how they got their original meanings. But um, so uh, now what was I? And part of, I mean, part of the question though, I guess you had said before that you had always been on cordial terms with her. So you were a little surprised and like baffled about where some of the this was coming from or where some of the insinuations yeah, well, were uh, coming from yeah i was well, yes um because uh i have endeavored not i'm not i'm not you know a pedantic academic in that i i cite every use of the word the <laughs> but um i do i do uh, i do get everything i derive from sources and today i was reconstructing the chain of authority and the only gap i found was that i had never read valence uh, book six book nine hmm. in english in from uh, riley's translation because schmidt hadn't translated it although yeah. he he did translate a portion of it where valence outlines equal houses that was published in book three of ptolemy yeah yeah uh so i you know i didn't have a piece of evidence at hand um but I, I still maintain that predominantly it seems to fall. And even when they give the midheaven, they don't do anything with it. Yeah, well, you're the one that originally that I followed after where you in your 2007 paper for Cosmos that was presented at that conference and that you later published uh, that I think it was titled Signs as Houses. Yeah. You kind of pioneered that approach of actually going through and doing the work and counting up all of the charts so that you can actually say how many times the midheaven is mentioned or uh, different points like that, which allows you to get some tabulation of how frequently whole sign houses are used versus quadrant houses versus equal houses or what have you. Yeah, I think that was probably based on Greek horoscopes. Yeah. Yeah. Um. I went through recently and calculated those charts again. A friend, Michael, helped me with this. And um, we went through the example charts and counted up the number of chart examples where it just shows where it only lists the ascendant sign only with no degree of the ascendant. So therefore- That's a blue mark there, I take it, at ascendant sign only. Yeah, ascendant yeah. sign only is the overwhelming like blue part yeah. of the pie chart. So that's 98 charts, only list the ascendant sign Therefore, they can only be used to calculate whole sign houses. Yeah. Um, then there's 34 charts that list an ascendant degree. There's two charts that have an ascendant plus a midheaven by sign, 
And there's yeah. at least five charts that have an ascendant plus a midheaven by degree. Yeah. Was that, uh, yeah, that's based on various valence. Yeah. 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 It's just balances chart, but it's just following the same approach as you. But I, instead of just focusing on the midheaven, I expanded it to oh, also that was, count. That's very nicely done. It's a very powerful point. Yeah. Well, it just, because holding spends actually a lot of time when she's talking about the midheaven argument and that you can, she keeps saying that you can calculate the degree of the midheaven if you know the degree of the ascendant. And so she's actually targeting the argument in your paper where you focused on how many times the degree of the midheaven was listed. Yeah. But she is ignoring the fact that in my book, 10 years after yours, I expanded your argument to include this piece, which is yeah. how many times do they only count the ascendant sign? Versus how many times do they actually mention the ascendant degree? Yeah, and, if, you, if you have the sign, the uh, the rising time system can't work. Right. If you just have the sign, you can't infer like the midheaven from that. You might um, be, you can ballpark it, but that's about it. You can get it down to what, what this sign or that sign. <laughs> right. So, um, really, that's a really important point in terms of. Do you remember, because I heard that like Schmidt and Holding started having some major blowouts on some sort of online Project Hindsight like email list or something like that in the mid-90s that were supposed to be legendary fights. And it seems like it was those two primarily that were arguing about house division and other things like that. But yeah. I don't know if, I, I assume you were still around for that, but I don't know if you remember it. I don't think I was in on it. Okay. Was there a yeah. Project Hindsight like mailing list of some sort of discussion for Yes, they did. They, uh, there were various times that I wasn't necessarily involved in. When um, did you technically leave Project Hindsight? Do you remember the dates? Like, I think it was like Thanksgiving of, I thought it was later, but I think I inferred at one point that it was either Thanksgiving of 96 or 97. Would you like to know something that most people don't know? What's that? This is why I left Project Hindsight. Mm. I had met a woman that I fell in love with, that they had friends who knew her and they were saying all sorts of terrible things about her, none of which were true. We've been married for 25 years. Yeah, that's what after when I came in like 10 years later and there was a huge rift in the community after you and Schmidt split up um, because the community got divided into different camps. I always try to infer what happened, and I realized later it that it was astrological. Like, no, it was a it was a personal dispute that basically yeah. like snowballed into a professional dispute, sort of. Uh well, that was an excuse. Hmm. Okay. Um, they made it in. They made it intolerable for me to be in their presence because they would just sit there and tell me evil things about my now wife. Yeah, I mean, I know, I know, I know. Marriage. <laughs> I know from their perspective in slight defense of them, they had like concerns that they were worried about their friend getting in this new relationship. But then your point basically is true that ultimately in retrospect, they probably ended up being wrong because you've now had a long and successful marriage for like 20 years. 25. 25, almost 30 years. Okay, got it. Yeah. So yeah, but that was a huge tragedy because it, think, it seems like things changed. 
like there was this ideal like golden period that I always think back to in the mid 90s where you guys were just cranking out these translations constantly there was all this excitement and then um and then it kind of ended very abruptly uh but my my brother's uh significant other uh, also bought it completely and I lost my brother too okay so it caused a rift in your family at the same time yeah, um, I'm not, yeah, I just lost him literally earlier this month. He died. Uh, sorry to hear that. Uh, it never made up because of that. Wow. Okay. Um, it's very good to edit the lunatics out of your life. Yeah, and that was if part you, of. That was what I had to do. Right. So you had you felt like you had to isolate yourself from Project Hindsight at a certain point because the personal relationship broke down and it became really toxic? Yes. Okay. And it was primarily with Ellen. If Schmidt had been left to his own devices, it probably wouldn't have happened. Mm. Yeah. Um, I ha- definitely had some of my own experiences like that, so I know... <laughs> you have I- some inkling of what I'm talking about. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I've been trying to learn how to tell the story of the revival of Hellenistic astrology and, and Project Hindsight and to do it in a as neutral of a manner as I can and to, to do it well and to recognize both the really positive things. You don't have to publicize what I just said. I'm not expecting you to. No, uh, no. Yeah. Let's, say, let's just say that the uh, personal issues began to crap up the works and let it go with that. Yeah, that's fine. Um, so you split and started doing your own thing and started publishing your translations under your own banner and you started Which, working... And our hat, instead of being the association for the retrieval of historical astrological texts, became the archive for the retrieval of historical astrological texts. Right. So then you published, and you published like your your whole sign house booklet and your booklet on sect because it wasn't just whole sign houses that you were excited about and that you were promoting that were new sort of new discoveries, but also sect was another one of those like exciting new discoveries as well, right? Yeah, I, I I thought of revising it, but I think uh, Demetra has done a much better job of treating it in her book. Mm, the concept of did, sect. Yeah, I didn't realize there was a fourth factor in sect, and that is rising before or after the sun. I didn't okay. realize that was a sect issue. I thought that was oriental, occidental, and there was something else completely, and I realized it was the fourth criterion of sect. Mm, okay. So a diurnal planet should be in a diurnal chart rising before the sun in a sign of the right sect. Well, it should be, if it's a diurnal planet, it should be, uh, if it sets after the sun, is in a nocturnal sign, etc. that's fully in sect also. And she was the one who made that connection. I hadn't made it. Right. So after you left Heinze, you're publishing stuff, you also start you go back to school you're actually part of the movement of astrologers that decided to go back into academia and get advanced degrees and you did a dissertation eventually on Benati. i did i my dissertation was entitled um so you did your dissertation technically the title was evidence for the use of astrology uh for the use of military astrology in late medieval italy Right, uh, and the, the thesis, the actual thesis, uh, 
was inspired by the fact that I kept reading people, scholars debating what astrology was actually used for in the Middle Ages, and a lot of people were poo-pooing it. And it was really only trivial. And I, and I introduced Bonatti, who wrote this encyclopedia of medieval astrology, which is what mm. it is, essentially. And, uh, and I said, there's a peculiarity about Bonatti when he talks about something without citing any particular source or anything, it's generally received and he agrees. If he disagrees, he cites the source. Hmm. Right. Or he will, or, or will go like this uh, on the subject of uh, initiating a battle. He will cite the opinions of the various experts that preceded him, and then he'll begin a paragraph that says, but I say, and then you know this is something he discovered himself. Right. So when you see people just parodying, parroting things that have been said by everybody else in the Middle Ages, you realize they're not necessarily, they're just transmitting a tradition. The innovations come when they take pride of authorship in them. Yeah, that's actually a really important point because that was one of the allegations made in Deb's lecture where she claims that at Project Hindsight that people refuse to look at astrology in the context of the entire astrological tradition and that you guys didn't care about the Arabic or the Babylonian texts because it wasn't Hellenistic and it was all about one golden era and anything that followed was a corruption of things. Um, so that lots of things that were part of the tradition, she said, before and after this period were not recognized by them? Well, we, we, they weren't recognized because uh, uh, pre-Hellenistic astrology is very undocumented. We have yeah. cuneiform fragments. We have some fragments in Coptic. But trying to come up with something coherent, except for that Ross paper that we talked about earlier, um, there wasn't enough. The literature yeah. of Hellenistic astrology is huge. Uh, I would include medieval astrology as part of the Golden Age. Actually, I I did not. I was not only Hellenistic. I think the the medievals yeah. did some good stuff. Well, and that's that's the point that I'm making though is that she claims that you guys were only interested in the Hellenistic tradition and you ignored all the rest of the tradition. But in reality, that's completely false because right from the start, you were looking at the entire tradition in continuity and you were also translating texts from not just the arabic authors like al-kindi or masha'allah but also some of the later medieval authors like benadi or even some renaissance authors um so it's not true that you weren't taking it's the rest matter, of the tradition it's a matter of running out of time and energy uh oddly enough the greek material is more accessible if you're not associated with academia or and or the internet had not yet been invented. The internet revolutionized everything. I have an amazing library on my computer of PDFs mm -hmm. of original sources in, in medieval and Renaissance astrology, uh, Latin mostly. I don't do Arabic, I can't read it. So I have almost all of the Arabic translations into Latin. And I have almost all of the great Latin works in several editions. Yeah, so that, that's the important point is you you have always, from the beginning of Project Hindsight, been interested in the Latin tradition and the medieval tradition as well as the Hellenistic tradition? Yes. Now, okay. it's a historical accident that it didn't get completed. 
<laughs> right, just because of the falling out really cut yeah. off. Because really, in your initial vision for Project Hindsight, the plan was eventually to translate everything and make everything from the entire tradition available. That wasn't already available, yes. Okay. Uh, the, actually, the uh, later medieval and Renaissance tradition is extremely poorly documented in translation. The only reason why I don't have a problem with that is I'm pretty fluent in Latin. Right, so you just read it in its original language instead of needing to translate it? Yeah. Okay. So the only um, It's the only language I'm fluent in outside of English is Latin. I mean, one of the things I've wondered about is, one, Deborah Holding speaks as if she was at Project Hindsight, but I don't know that she ever actually visited Project I Hindsight. Don't, in... I don't think she ever came. Okay. So she may have subscribed may have, and... She may, she may have subscribed and she may have been at that meeting in in Alexandria, Virginia, but I don't, I don't remember. I don't think so. I know others like Nick Campion and Lee Lehman were there in 1992 at UAC um, in some of the early discussions. But I, I do know that I think Deb Holding was publishing a journal, a magazine called the Traditional Astrologer Magazine starting in 1992 and 93. And yeah. she also started a publication company called Acela, yeah. which was publishing like reprints of different texts, yeah. including- oh, she, um, uh, Her website is one of the glories of the astrological community. I mean, if you're looking for uh, stuff in the early modern and medieval period that's been translated, it's there. Yeah, um, Skyscript is a really great resource. Yeah, I was wondering, I mean, she was publishing all that stuff. And one of the things I've tried to speculate, because I'm trying to understand where some of the animosity is coming from, if it had to I do didn't with- I didn't know there was any animosity until you sent me that video. <laughs> right. That was a real shock. Yeah, I mean, I think that Holstein Houses has just become very popular. She partially blames you for that because technically your role in the history of astrology is you really did become one of the leading proponents of Holstein Houses yeah. in the 1990s. And because you were such a famous astrologer and a well well respected astrologer up to that point, it was a pretty big deal that you did adopt Holstein Houses at that point. Yeah, I, I, I adopted it because of in my private practice, it worked. Okay. Not, First not, time I had houses I could count on. You didn't do it simply in order to make money or sell lectures no. or something like that? Uh, the, 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 no. No. Yeah. Yeah. The, I know. That, um, that's, that's always the last refuge of a scoundrel is accuse the other person of trying to be make a lot of money out of something. And believe me, I am a man of modest means. <laughs> right. Um, so, and one of the questions I always meant to ask you, cause I, I think about this sometimes, or I've thought about it, like why, it, especially when I came into the astrological community, um, you were always seen as just like one of the leaders in the astrological community and one of the most famous astrologers in the world. And I often tried to understand how, cause I wasn't around how you got to that height and, and established that reputation. And I, I think, think it planets was in transit, planets in transit was the, the killer because nobody had ever done a really comprehensive book on transits before. I, I only regret that uh, this is where she gets away with calling me a popular astrologer. I wrote them in the second person. I, I addressed the reader because they were you. a computer text. Right. But the so astrology was, was dead serious. 
Yeah, well, and it's still used, and it's still really popularly used today, especially because it's used on Astro.com. Yeah, and by the way, I have nothing whatsoever to do with that computer company. They contacted me, and we had some conversations, and they they realized that I was, I think they realized I was too much of a purist to touch them with a 10-foot pole, you know, the one she talks about, but they use the whole uh, sign houses. One that oh co-star um yeah co -star, yes no I mean the yeah. co-star thing was dumb it's just it's an astrology app that's very popular but ironically the page she was citing was just co-star announcing that they were integrating whole sign houses as, as an option but their default option is actually poor free houses so they actually default to a quadrant house system so the fact okay. that she was having this like bit practically about this company just offering whole sign houses as an option and saying that it was like the oldest and the most popular house system for a long time was just kind of yeah. um, unnecessary. So um, one of the things you said, you ended your 2000 paper, 2007 paper with that I just saw last night, I thought it, it ended on a really good note that's relevant here, where you said, Actually, why don't you read it? Because it'll probably yeah. sound better in your, your voice. Finally, whatever one may think of astrology in general, and Greek astrology in particular, comma, some of the practitioners were very learned men. We should assume, therefore, that what they did, they did intentionally. We should not assume, excuse me, we should not evaluate the integrity of ancient astrology based on criteria derived from a backward projection of later medieval and early modern astrological techniques onto the ancients. They must be evaluated on their own terms. Yeah. I, I might add, if they have any real value, they should be evaluated in terms of modern astrology also. Right. Yeah. Can I, you I make it work for what you do with astrology? That is the question. Yeah, and it, and if you can make it work yourself, then good. And whatever practice you develop, that's great. But you don't necessarily need to impose that or deny somebody else's practice. And I feel like that's something you've always been pretty good about in there, terms of your. There is your, a divinatory aspect of astrology. There's no argument. Hmm. There is something uh, real going on. Um, I might end this with a little philosophical flourish. Uh, my my dominant influence in my thinking these days is Neoplatonic. Mm. I seem I have a lot of company on YouTube for which I am grateful, but um, I seem to be the only one who's noticed that it explains why uh, science rejects a whole lot of ideas, like the existence of the soul, for example. Uh, they say it's, they basically regard it as kind of fancy computer program. Well, in terms of Neoplatonism, they're absolutely right, except they haven't identified the programmer. Hmm. What happens is evolution occurs according, according to natural law, but eventually something evolves which can receive programming from the world soul. That's us probably quite a few other beings too. So the chart I see is a symbolic map of, of your relationship to the world soul. That means that any chart in theory 
can be lived at a totally debased level or a divine level, usually somewhere in the middle. <laughs> but, um, and I, I, I see physicists actually converging on this territory. For example, they say, uh, what's his name? Um, oh, Danish, Danish physicist who lives in America now. Um, oh, hell. Uh -huh. uh, at any rate, he, he, he uh, look for a YouTube that's entitled, What Explains the Unreasonable Effectiveness of Mathematics? And the answer okay. is, mathematics do not exist in the physical universe. Hmm. They exist in the world soul. And that was asserted by the Platonists. Okay. What we do is receive the program. We receive the programming according to our capacities. Uh, I am facing death in the not too distant future, I'm quite sure, because I am 80 years old. I mean, I'm not being gloomy here. I'm being realistic. But I don't expect to cease to exist. I just won't be here. And I, I won't necessarily be exactly what I'm like here either. But I'm going back to the hard drive, <laughs> so to speak. Right. Um, so one of the last things to close down, one of the most... Um, you can edit no that out if you want. <laughs> no, it's good. Um, yeah. One of the most notable things I've ever heard you say or seen you give, one of the most notable lectures was actually a private lecture at Kepler College that you gave one night in 2000. Five, I believe, and I had been studying Hellenistic astrology for maybe a year, but it really impacted me. But it partially had to do with um, some of your tensions with Schmidt and your feeling like he was focusing too much on that there was a feeling too much of fundamentalism to a certain extent coming up at a certain point. Yes, and and I remember how you ended that lecture on a note that that we shouldn't become fundamentalists about our techniques or our different traditions, because if we do that, then all of this work that we've done to revive the ancient traditions will just sort of be thrown back in the trash heap um, if we sort of let things devolve into that sort of infighting and that sort of fundamentalism. And it, it seemed like that was- Deborah, Deborah has a shovel in her hand, yeah. <laughs> Yeah, well, it's just, I think it's partially an issue because it seems like the tradition was dug up in stages where the Renaissance tradition started first in the 80s. Zoller got a little bit of a head start with the medieval tradition. And then the Hellenistic tradition, I feel like we've only finished um, recovering that fully recently with the publication of me and Demetra's books. Yeah. But the. Um, yeah, you've made, you've made them learnable. Right. So, but it's accidentally created to some extent some different, like three different groups that have slightly different versions of traditional astrology, which is like the Hellenistic, the medieval, and the Renaissance groups, and that there's these natural tensions between them as a result of some of the differences in the techniques or the traditions that they represent. And I was just wondering if you think that that's something that can be overcome or can be um, reconciled at some point. We're looking for the Newtonian synthesis of all these traditions. Right. <laughs> Unfortunately, Newton was also wrong. Um, now they're looking for another one um, in physics. The grand unified theory. A grand unified theory. I wouldn't put that in. <laughs> right. Uh, I, I'm not sure there is one um, because uh, while we are not computers, um, 
we are uh, we we are we operate differently according to the structure of our relationship with the world soul. The body creates the personality. The fact that we live, can think, and get inspired, and do all that stuff—that's coming from the world soul. The intelligence, the artistic creativity—that's coming from the world soul. The um, the fact that we can talk and speak is nice. It was necessary, actually. So. It, so a caveman wouldn't have to reinvent the wheel over and over and over again. They could communicate, hey, you cut the corners off the rectangle enough times and you get a wheel. Mm. <laughs> um, Do you think that there's something useful to be gained from each of the different astrological traditions? Yes, there are, I think we've proven that. The question is, is, the question is, which synthesis is the best? Yeah. But I think any anybody who thinks they can do it entirely with books written after 1900 is nuts. Um, was, was that the point of Project Hindsight, though, when you say that, that there is something valuable about each of the traditions and that was the purpose about going back and reviving them? Yes. Okay. All right. Um, well, that might be a good point to wrap up in. Do you have any like final thoughts or final things that you meant meant to mention um that might be relevant uh can't think so except uh congratulate Dimitra on that book it's quite a piece of work so is yours of course i've already told you that you you have done a good job of making those two tradition that, that tradition learnable thank you yeah i mean i've i think Dimitra and i both just felt like we were trying to bring to completion what you and schmidt and zoller started in the 1990s as well as all the other astrologers that were involved in that revival and that um you know it took a longer time maybe than anybody expected but i feel like it's done and now traditional astrology has been revived and is in practice again today and it's being merged and synthesized with modern and contemporary astrology to create this new synthesis that'll define our era but it's largely thanks to to you and some of your your contemporaries um that we were able to do that yeah well let's just say that the history of astrology is now operational in the history in the future history of astrology it wouldn't have been without this right future yeah. astrology will be descended from the entire tradition rather than the previous generation's rendition of it right so now that the entire tradition has been revived as a single almost entire entity now the next version can develop from that rather than just from one small piece of the tradition yes and they can and uh it can be i'm sure it can be improved enormously we still have the issue of constellations versus tropical signs for example as one issue um i don't know you probably haven't seen it but i did a webinar on the um uh, one of the uh, I'll give you the argument briefly. Why is the tropical zodiac valid experientially? Well, first of all, you can't say that it's a moving zodiac, and the sidereal one isn't, because the fact is they're both moving. The sidereal zodiac, the stars are moving individually. And if you if you look at some of the modern constellations 10,000 years ago, you can't recognize them. The stars have moved that much. Proper motion, it's called. The other thing is uh, many sidereals originally objected to um, uh, tropical astrology on the grounds that um, 
you can't perceive the influence. Uh, how how can you find where the zero Aries is, the vernal equinoxes in the sky? And my response is, I don't know. It's a pretty good task, but I can tell you this: the Irish figured it out somewhere around 1500 BC, mm. because uh, Newgrange in Ireland still accurately gets this winter solstice. No right. ancient astronomical alignment done by stars works anymore. <laughs> right. Yeah. And so, a lot of those like Stonehenge and stuff are aligned with the equinoxes and the solstices. Yes, because they were they were they were dealing with the seasons, which is an operational experience. Right. Yeah, that's a good point. Yeah. So that's a workshop that you've you've given recently? I gave it a couple of years ago. Yeah, it's available on time okay. for okay. sale. So I'll, you're... I'll get you a copy. You might find it interesting. And yeah. I had, in my day, one of the big arguments was sidereal versus tropical. And there is no versus. They have their, both have their uses. But I think the constellations should be constellations, not sidereal signs. Mm. The actual yeah. images. Yeah, I kind of think at this point, it's similar with the house division thing, that it's not verses, but it should be somehow yeah. together. Yeah, I think some of them will turn out to be genuinely useless, but uh, uh, I, I'm perfectly prepared to believe there are quadrant house systems that will contribute things that you can't do with whole sign houses. And I know damn well there's things that whole sign houses that can contribute that quadrant house systems can't, hmm. like yeah. reliable succeeding houses <laughs> so you're still available for consultations you have some of the workshops and stuff available on your website and you're yep. still working on planets in transit part part two or the the new version right it's called cycles in time okay it's a total rewrite and it's finished you're finished writing it i'm finished writing it just but they don't want to edit it okay that's their polite way of so I'm slowly editing it and if I do uh but it's gonna take me a long time. My wife can fortunately is pretty perfectly capable of editing it and she's a lot younger than I am. So I mean not a lot, but she's uh one Jupiter cycle younger because I <laughs> uh roughly. Um yeah, so uh, it will come out and uh uh, I do some things in it which are have nothing whatsoever to do with transits as such. I have a theory, a philosophical theory for explaining the division of planets into malefics and benefics. Mm. And it's, it's absolutely, completely created by the state of an individual's consciousness. Okay. There are no inherently malefic anything. That's one of the things I've learned from the Platonists. The heavens are completely benign. We make the stuff. We make the stuff go wrong. <laughs> right, like Plotinus has an essay on that. Yes, uh, he's not. Yeah, well, not just Plotinus. There's Iamblichus and Porphyry, not, not Porphyry, uh, Proclus, and of course, um, yeah, Proclus. Yeah, Por yeah, Porphyry actually is one of them, but he's he, he didn't write that much. Actually, he wrote the Enneads, but they were all taken from his they were all taken from his transcriptions of Plotinus's lectures. Hmm. Okay. All right. Well, um, I don't think I have any more questions, but thanks for coming on to like clarify some of that history and and some of that stuff for me. Okay. Right. All right. I'm gonna stop the recording. Yeah.